Man, that was so powerful. Man, I needed that. I love worship because what worship does is it dethrones us and it enthrones him. And if you're anything like me, I, I take my life back almost every week. I surrender it to him and then I sort of find a way to take it back. And it's just so awesome to say, no, you're on the throne. You're the king. I'm not the king of my life. You're the leader. I'm not the leader. And you surrender to his leadership and his lordship. And I know that sounds like, well, my life's going to be horrible once I do that. I'm telling you, you are made to do that. He was made to be your king and you are made to be his child and his servant. It's like, God, you're bidding, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. And uh, I'm just so excited coming in. And I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time, winning the war in your mind. Um, For a lot of reasons, I'm excited. Not the least of which is my mind is a a battlefield. Is your mind a battlefield? I mean, it is a battlefield. There's a war of worlds being waged over our souls and the large amount of it happens between our ears inside of our head. And for me, the expenditure of energy that I uh, put out every week just trying to like take my thoughts captive and not allow them to captivate me, to not overwhelm me, but to overcome them. them. This is part of the journey of humanity, specifically since the fall of man. Like we know we're, we're in a, a place where the gravity of depravity is always pulling us down and there's something about lifting your head up and saying, God, I give you my thoughts, Lord. I surrender them to you. I need your freedom. Can you please free me from the oppression and the depression that fills my mind? And he is faithful to do so when you surrender to him. I remember my grandpa had a phrase and it had to do with driving. And the phrase was this, every time I got to his house, my, my grandpa Lavin, he was full Spanish. And uh, I'm quarter Spaniard, Spaniard, which is like a cocker Spaniel, I guess. So. <laughs> but I remember him saying, Jason, don't lose your head to gain a minute. You need your head. Your brains are in it. <laughs> when you go out driving, don't lose your head to gain a minute. You need your head. Your brains are in it. And there's just something inside of my head where I sort of lose my head on certain days to gain something. And it's like, I need you, God, to come and sit on the throne of my mind. And so what we're going to try to do in the next four weeks is say, God, take your rightful place as Dan prayed. And please, please govern my mind as the Prince of Peace and, and whisper, peace be still to the winds and waves that crash against me. On the reg is what the kids are saying. On the daily, as people my age are saying. Uh, Every day, as old folks say. (laughs) I know for me, the mind can take on a life of its own. In many ways, my mind has a mind of its own. You hear people say, in my heart of hearts, I really feel that. Well, in my mind of mind, I got things going on. I mean, my layers got layers inside of my head. I I can't even keep track of it on some days. I can't either hold a thought or I can't keep a thought. I'm thoughtless, I'm thoughtful. I, I, I can't figure out how I'm getting lost in thought or how sometimes my thoughts are making me lost like I can be a mental basket case. 
and the mind's hard to keep track of. And to, once you track it and you catch it and then you keep it and, and then to control it. And just when you think you got a good mindset or a mind frame, my life happens and my thoughts start racing away from me again because life, it takes on a life of its own. One of the quotes in the devotional this week that's sort of an anchor thought in this four-week series is by Craig Rochelle where he said, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. I've been thinking about that all week long. I'm like, that is so true, but that's not true because Craig Rochelle said it. That's just another way of something that was said about 3,000 years ago where Solomon said this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. You've heard you are what you eat. You actually are what you think or you become what you think. I put it this way, what you stew on will become your life story. Whatever you're stewing about, that becomes your story, the story of your life. One of my gifts is I have a, a very active imagination. Go figure, right? A, a fertile mind, and I always have ever since I, I was young. I, I'm a dreamer. I'm a person who's a lover of ideas, but my mind is hyperactive to a fault. One therapist I talked to called it hypervigilant. I'm very hypervigilant. I'm always on. It's hard to shut down my mind. It makes for a good dreamer, a good visionary, but it's very, very hard for me to, to have a restful mind. It's racing mind. It's hypervigilant. Um, my doctor or a doctor told my mom in the last year that she has anticipatory anxiety. Any moms know what that is here where you think your kids are driving off and you imagine all the worst things happening to them and you're just a basket case inside of your head? She, that I have that too. I have this sort of anticipatory anxiety. I'm always kind of looking ahead and I, I have this thing inside of me where I go ahead of myself and I try to get out in front of everything and God's like, you can't get out in front of everything because you don't know the future. I am in the future. I know who holds the future and he knows what the future holds and I got to surrender to him. Right? Rather than trying to anticipate everything and hit everything off at the pass and go through every progression of every possible end scenario game. I can't do that. And though that is my tendency, it's helpful and it's hurtful. I got these bats in my belfry. Some of you got ants in your pants. <laughs> I got blowflies bouncing around off the window panes of my brain. Does anybody relate, right? This is in some ways the human condition. We're just all on the spectrum. The brain worms that take me down wormholes where I die a thousand deaths. And this is the killer, man. Largely what I'm thinking about never actually happens or happened. I'm living in here my um, immunity is kicking in, my immune system, all my fight or flight, thinking there's a saber-toothed tiger. Everything kicks in as if, and it's all in my head. Mark, Mark Twain put it this way in a phrase. He said, I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. 
That is so true and so discouraging. Like you get to the end of your life, 33% of it, you're asleep, which kind of stinks when you really think about it. And then there's probably another 33% of it where it's all happening inside of your head and you've been through all this trauma and all this drama and it's all been up inside your head. And then 33% actually happens. It's a war zone up in here. Uh, I know NF uh, is one of my favorite rappers. He said it this way. Last year I had a breakdown. Thoughts telling me I'm lost getting too loud. Had to see a therapist and I found out something funny's going on up in my house. Huh? Anybody got something funny going on up in your house? Yeah. Really funny up in there. These intrusive thoughts that sneak in and seek to freeze my freedom and to paralyze me in place. He used a a phrase this week in the devotional, thought audit. Taking a thought audit. And there's sometimes that's really great when I audit my life, take an inventory in my life. I'm like, those are good thoughts. I need to be grateful for those things. I need to be thankful for those things. But a lot of things, I take a thought audit and man, it's like my brain is filled with intrusive thoughts invading my life. These were some just coming into the weekend. You want to hear them? You don't know what you're doing. You don't have any more good ideas. People are getting ready to leave. A lot of people are disappointed in you right now. Someday you're going to fail and it's going to destroy your life. No matter how much you do or don't do, you can't change people's lives because people don't change. You're doing a lousy job with your family too. Someday your kids are going to grow up and you're going to regret things and they're going to resent you. Oh, that's great. Oh, and you're a horrible husband. Your wife thinks you're fake. Nobody's coming this weekend, Jay. It's getting old. Well, look at these people that came this weekend. Wow, that's interesting. It's not what my brain was telling me. You're not caring for your team enough and they don't feel known and loved. You don't know people's names, let alone their stories. You're not a good pastor. You're so alone. You're in this all by yourself. You can't do it. You don't have what it takes to pull this off. You better have a plan B, buddy, just in case things go south. You're out of your league, man. You're out of your depth, Jay. There's so many more. This is what is called stinking thinking. There's more where this came from. I could fill up the pages with how my mind berates me and crushes me and hates me and lies to me. Suffice it to say, half the energy I exert on most days is talking to myself inside my head talking myself off ledges and talking myself back onto the solid ground of truth, managing the mental minefields, or as I call them, mind fields inside my head. That's why I love the verse I want to camp out in today found in 2 Corinthians 10. It's actually one I memorized back when I was in college, so it was awesome to come back and speak on this. I've never spoken on this verse before in 25 years, but it's powerful. 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to camp out here in the remainder of the service. Starting in verse 3, Paul talking to the Corinthians. Paul was very uh, astute in using warlike language to talk about the Christian life. Put on the armor of God that you might not give in to the wiles of the devil, the fiery darts of the devil. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and things of the, the ether out there that you can't even see, spiritual forces. And it says, so put on the armor of God. Be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Armor up, get ready to fight. And so here he's talking in fighting language. And what I love about the Christian life that sometimes we don't say enough is it's not just about having affection, having compassion, being kind, being loving, being gracious, being you know patient and all these virtues, those are all good. We need to have affection, but we need to learn some aggression. We gotta learn how to fight the spirit of this age. We gotta learn to fight the small God G of this age, the prince of palities that, that works against these children of disobedience that comes in and he tries to mess you up and foil your plans and foil the mission of God and to sabotage your life and to torpedo your marriage. We gotta learn to not just be playing defensive all day long and trying to run away and flee the youthful lust that war against our souls, but how to run into the roar and fight. We got to fight back, but I want to not just fight back and always react. I want to be proactive and go in and wage war against the darkness, pushing back the darkness. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Can I get a witness out there, right? We are such a white church. <laughs> Second Corinthians 10, three through five. For though we live in the world, we, we as Christians don't wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with aren't weapons of the world, you know, AK this and bazookas and you know, all that stuff. On the contrary, they have the divine power, the ones we fight with, to demolish strongholds and arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we get to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Wage war. Us on the offensive for a change. Not letting our thoughts be on the offensive anymore and us timidly be on the defense. No, we're gonna fight. We got the divine power. Do you know what power is in the Greek? In this text, dunamis, where we get dynamite. We got the dynamite. We're the ones that demolish. The word there means in the Greek, tear down strongholds that set themselves up. These constructs in our head, these false narratives, these strongholds and strangleholds that have long ruled over us like despotic sort of dictators. See, our reality is built on our belief systems. I call it BS, right? All this BS in our head, this, the belief systems in our head are messing up our lives. What do we believe in our brains about ourselves, this world, each other, the kingdom, eternal life? where we come from, why we're here, where we're going. Some call it a worldview, but these worldviews literally make or break the little small steps we take every day. What's the BS in your head? These belief systems we're coming against today. 
It's interesting. I was thinking about the word believe and I, I read it today. I never saw this before. The word believe. You know what's right in the middle of believe? Huh. Yeah. We got to find the lies in what we believe. And say, God, we're asking for you to bring truth, tear down those lies, replace those things with truth. What do you believe? See, winning the war in our minds begins with changing our belief systems, dethroning lies and enthroning truth. Whatever is sitting on the throne of our thoughts rules our reality. Whatever's sitting on the throne of our thoughts rules our reality. And when I read this passage fresh this week, I was struck by the ending of it where it says, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. And and immediately what came to my mind is, I can make my mind obey. I, I think some of us, we don't actually believe that. We're like my son that's like, dad, it's just the way I am. I can't help it. I think adults still are like, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. No, you can make your thoughts obey. You put the leash on your thoughts and you make it obey, which takes me to the next thing that I came to because I got a little dog inside of my house named Gus who basically wants to rule and reign in our household. And so the next thing I said is I have to take my thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. I got to take him to obedience school. Come here, Gus. He's skilled. He's a little nervous because he hasn't been out of the house much. Yeah, I hear him. He's going, see, these are people And they have a lot of puppies in their head called thoughts. And you, yeah, he looks so awesome right now. No, he's not. This is my daughter, Cammie, my eldest daughter, by the way. Um, My youngest came out, and this is Vanna White here today, kind of just showing the dog. This guy, this guy didn't come into our house to take sides. He came in to take over. He, he wants it all and then some. And when he's awake, he, um, I've noticed a lot of things that are coming out and we got to take this, this, I was going to say this cat to obedience school. <laughs> we got to take this dog to obedience school. In fact, our whole family watched YouTube videos so that we could all seven of us get on the same page about what we're trying to teach him, what we're trying to teach out of him, and what we're trying to teach into him. And we watched these videos so we're not all going different directions. Because if we're going different directions, this, this thing's going to keep ruling our household. And one thing you need to know, I love you, but I'm in charge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, take him out of here. That's Gus. Everybody say bye, Gus. Yeah. He looks so cute. He's incredibly hyperactive. And we're trying to get the hyperactive to heal. I I noticed some things about trying to get the hyperactive to heal in my own brain that this dog has showed me this week. You want to go through some of them, the things we're trying to break in him already? First is involuntary pooping and peeing. And to me, this is just the basic thing of teaching basic manners and etiquette. You don't go wherever you want and whenever you feel like it, take a dump. You don't. 
Some of you here, just in a very honest way, you just still haven't learned this in your life that you don't just go take a dump on people whenever you want, wherever you want. You got to learn when and where to take a dump. Uh, whining when he doesn't get attention. This is huge. All over the place. Teaching delayed gratification. Have you learned that yet in your life? Like you're not getting attention and you want to whine, you want to kvetch, you want to bellyache. And it's like, no, you, you have to learn delayed gratification. It's not all about you. Amen. Have you learned that yet in your life? How about this one? Barking in the night, waking us up and it's teaching healthy rhythms of rest and play. <laughs> Buddy, this is the time you can play and this is the time to rest. And there's a time for both. Lunging at us to bite us when we say no. This is teaching listening and submission. We do when he bites us, we grab his jaw. No bite, no bite. And then we put the thing we can, he can bite in front of his face and we're trying to teach no biting. What's happening? Just listening and submission. Chewing on stuff he shouldn't be. Teaching the intent behind each instinct. He has teeth, they were made for something. He has a mouth, it was made for something. And we're teaching him, it's not made for that, it's made for this, and redirecting. Running off when we take him off the leash. We're trying to teach self-control even without restraints. So when he's given freedom, he doesn't just need the leash to obey and do what's right. That's tough. Some of you, when you leave the house and you have no more rules, you just get to do what you want. Well, leadership of your own heart, where you impose rules and regulations and restrictions and requirements on yourself for the greater good, you've got to learn to do that once you're off the leash. And a lot of times religion can be seen as a legalistic leash. Do you love God even without the condemnation and the guilt and the shame that people can put on you? Will you do the right thing even when you're all by yourself and you have a choice now? Mounting stuffed animals in people's shins. <laughs> Not sure how this is happening yet, but it's already happening. Teaching the proper outlets for natural desires. You know, if you don't learn this, it's like you don't just get to go around and hump everything that you want to hump whenever you want to hump. Said Humpty Dump. <laughs> right? No, no, this is something... Guys, if you're doing this and you just can't control those urges inside of you, it's learning to control those urges. God made them. They're meant for something. They're incredibly mysterious and beautiful. This is the intention of the hump. And it ain't their shins. And it ain't that stuffed animal. Wanting to eat constantly. Women. Just kidding. Just kidding. I... I went off on the guys, I had to equal it out. <laughs> Teaching about hunger and contentment. You're not hungry, you're bored. Yeah. You said your kids that? Get out of the pantry. Yep. You just ate. Yep. You're not hungry. You just think you are. You're bored. You're not hungry, you're sad. Mm -hmm. You're not hungry, you're hurt. Licking the door of the fireplace. <laughs> Teaching about seduction and danger. Oh, that looks really, really good. Ah, yeah. 
It's like teaching, that's dangerous. That last one, hyperactive energy that is misdirected, teaching de-escalation and regulation. All this stuff inside, all this energy, how do I de-escalate? Even Dan, before we prayed, did you hear what he did? Just take a deep breath. Before you act out, think, de-escalate, regulate. These things, I call them puppies inside of my head, these thoughts. And every one of these puppies in my head, I'm trying to teach the hyperactive to heal at my command. Second Corinthians goes on, the weapons we fight with aren't weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish three things, strongholds, arguments, and pretensions. I call these key three as it relates to mental constructs, thought gods. And just like idols, these thought gods must be torn down and demolished. You can't bow your soul to all these thought gods and to the one true God simultaneously. We got to wage war against them to stage a takedown. I went into these words in the Greek and what they meant. Strongholds comes from a Greek word. I think I'm saying this the same way or the right way. Echeroma. Irrational thoughts imprisoned in fortified belief systems, ground given up in our minds to the mentality of the enemy. These become strongholds inside of us where we give him the real estate and he claims ownership of certain parts of our heart and these irrational thoughts that become fortified walls around us and imprison us with his mentality of our life. Can I give you just a few of them that popped in my head? You will lose everything and everyone you love. You will never get over that no matter how hard you try. You'll never amount to anything. You piece of... You're a fraud and you always will be. Strongholds. We got to tear them down with the divine power of God today. We cannot give the enemy space to set up camp inside of our hearts. God, take that camp, flush that camp out, flush out my flesh and replace it with your spirit's control. Arguments comes from the Greek word logismos, where you get logos or word in there or knowledge. These are human imaginations. In fact, one translation says imaginations, vain imaginations. Man, do you have a good imagination? You have all kinds of stuff in your head floating around that is an imaginative alternate reality that you live in? That's this. And they're faulty conclusions based on lies meant to argue us into silence and compliance. That's why the enemy is called the father of lies, but he's also called the accuser of the brethren. Every day he wants to accuse you. He wants to say, you're not that. Oh, you did that again. He'll never forgive you. Oh man, why don't you do this? And then he changes hats. He baits you in, then he changes hats. And you're like, you're so stupid. You're worthless. And he argues why you're worthless. And he asks questions of you, arguing it in the court of law, like why should anyone believe you? Why should God forgive you after that? Why do you even try? It's no use. Do you really even have any friends? And it argues in your head all day long. And sometimes you're like, I don't know. And you just 
like, like a beat dog, you just kind of cower down and everything you're made to be is just been battered. The last one is pretensions. You ever met a pretentious person? Person who's all that in a bag of chips. They're never wrong. Pretensions comes from the Greek word hypsoma, high, thick barriers, walls of pride, vaunted views of oneself in comparison to others. Can't be used by God and have this. I don't need anyone. I'm just fine on my own. I just know people that have been hurt by people. And it's like, I have learned and conditioned myself to not need anyone. I'm fine on my own. That's pretentious. I don't care what people say. I know what I'm doing. I'd never do something like that. People are so stinking stupid. People that put their trust in God are weak. Pretension's got to come down. It goes on and it says all these things, these three things, these thought gods that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. They set themselves up against God. They come against God and they're like, here's the scrimmage line. We're on this side. You're on that side. And it's us v. you. We're coming against you. And we're coming against the knowledge of God. That struck me this week in a way that it's never hit me. What are they coming up against? The knowledge of God. Is this all this theology? No, no, no. They're coming up against more than just theology or the Bible. They're coming up against the knowledge or the thoughts or the reality of God, saying our reality is higher than your reality, our thoughts higher than your thoughts, our knowledge higher than your knowledge. And, and know what it says in Isaiah 55? I think it's eight and nine. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Another way of saying it is my thoughts are better than your thoughts. My dad is bigger than your dad. My dad could beat up your dad. That's what it was when I was little. And right here, they're setting themselves up, all three of them, it's like, we're the power triad. We're coming against you. We're coming against the knowledge of God, the reality that is God. What I love about God is he knows nothing of this whole generation where you follow your truth. Well, yes, your truth, and this is my truth. He's like, I am the truth. My knowledge is reality, not your reality. I don't care who you feel like you are. I don't care about your ideas. I love your thoughts. They're so puny. John the, even knew this in John 3.30 said, you must become greater, I must become lesser. You are elevated and I am before you. You speak, Lord, your servant listens. Your reality is reality. And he comes against this follow your truth thing with vehemence. And he says, we want to demolish that with divine power and divine wisdom. Our thoughts versus his thoughts. Hmm. It moves on, it says, after they come against the knowledge of God, we've got to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You take it, you capture it, you make it obedient to Christ. I think what I love about this passage is a lot of times we can think, well, God's gonna do it, and if he does it, 
you know, that's great. And so I'm going to pray, God, can you do this? And he said, I've given you the divine power and you must demolish and you must take it. It isn't like I'm going to do it all for you, God, you know, you do it for me. No, you've got to take up the sword of the spirit. You've got to exercise the agency and will that I've given you and the responsibility I've given you. I'm not going to do it all for you. I got the divine power, but you've got to tap into it with the power I've put inside of you. This doesn't just happen because we sort of throw up a prayer, like, you know, some prayer flare to God, and then he comes through and the pixie dust sprinkles down and it all goes away. No, you got to step up as a warrior, a thought warrior, as he said this week in the devotional, and you've got to attack this stuff. You take it, you make it, bow. It's interesting, this idea, as I researched it in a commentary, this is the language of war, where you take a captive. A prisoner of war. And, And there's five things that you do when you take a prisoner of war. You capture the thought like a prisoner of war. You interrogate the thought like an enemy operative, like Jack Bauer in 24, for those of you that watched that back in the day. It wasn't pretty, but he made people talk, which goes to three. You make it squeal and tell you it's diabolical mission. This is critical. Like that thought that comes into your head, you've got to then say, I got you. I've captured you. I'm interrogating you. I'm not letting you go anywhere or do anything until you tell me who sent you and we know who sent it. Why did it send you? What is your purpose? What are your intents? What are your missions in my life? Are the lights dimming on me? (laughs) See, that happens in my brain too. Like I'm there and then, especially when my wife's talking to me. That was purely a joke. I am fully attentive and concentrated on her when she speaks to me. In fact, I just say, speak your highness. If you believe that, I'll tell you another one. Make it squeal. I've come to the place in my life when I have thoughts. And even Jason McFarlane, you texted me yesterday and I've been thinking about that. How do you make yourself do the opposite of what your tendencies are? And and how do you know when you're doing the opposite, whether it's fake or not? It's interesting. And I don't know if I have a perfect answer to that question. All I know is when things are coming against me, there's resistance. I know that resistance is there for a purpose and that opponent is coming after me because I'm threatening something in the ecosystem of like the spiritual realm. And so when I'm being attacked with fear or I'm being attacked with unworthiness, I really believe whatever I'm moving toward and whatever I'm touching, whatever I'm messing with, I'm messing with the enemy in a way where he's trying to get me to negotiate and back down. And what I do once I find out the diabolical mission, why that thing was sent to buffet me and to take me off track is I'm like, what was I doing that caused this kind of reaction from the realms of hell? And I want to now double down and do more of it. Then you command that thought to bow and pledge its fealty to a new king. You have a king that sent you. It's the king and the prince of the power of the air. 
found in Ephesians chapter two, that's Satan. You must bow to a new king and my thoughts now are renewed and reframed and redeemed to bow to a new king. Because sometimes a thought actually has a bit of truth in it and you want God to actually take the bit of truth in it and to leverage that for his glory and his kingdom. And then you retrain it to obey the lordship and leadership of Christ. My thoughts, capture them, make them obey the mission of Christ instead of the mission that they had from the enemy. For me, I, just making something obedient is very simple for me to think about when it comes to my thoughts. Satan doesn't tell me who I am anymore, God does. My feelings don't tell me what I want anymore, the spirit of God does. People don't direct the traffic inside my head anymore. Jesus is the air traffic controller up in there. And I know we've gotta be obedient and we need training just like Gus But one thing I know is your brain will tell you otherwise, but you can change your mind. You can train your brain. I was thinking about sports. I was in sports a lot when I was younger. And there were parts of training in sports that I was thinking about this passage and the idea of strict training. To train your brain, I remember what I had to do in order to excel in sports, to become excellent, to overcome. And there were things that we did. We would, we would sort of watch tape. We would kind of watch film. We'd see what we did and where our weaknesses were and where our strengths were. And, and we'd watch the film even of another opponent after we did some scouting. So scouting's a part of it to watch film. And so you got to do reconnaissance. Who's the opponent that we're up against? We got to do this as Christians. Who are we fighting against? What are his tactic, tactics? The Bible even says we don't want to be unaware of his schemes. He's got schematics. And we wanna know what those are and what he's gonna use against us and where we individually are uniquely vulnerable. Not everybody's vulnerable in the same way. God, how is he going to attack, not everyone, but how is he gonna attack me? And so you do, you do film and you do scouting and then the last thing, once you find those things, you do conditioning. You condition for the atmosphere you're going to. The the kind of field, if you're playing on grass, if you're playing on turf, if you're playing with a loud crowd, you gotta condition yourself to actually be able to communicate maybe non-verbally a little bit more to get the play going when you need to call an audible. Do you know what I'm talking about? Why do we do this with sports and opponents and competition and not see the Christian life as a competition between two worlds that are waging war over your soul to win the war in your mind? And as I had this idea of competition and conquering the opponent, my brain exploded with this birdshot of verses that somehow felt like they were interconnected with this training idea as it related to neural pathways in the mind. The first one was just thinking about training. Paul was talking not just about warfare, but he used the training because that's where the Olympics came from, in Greece. He was around Greece. He was in Asia Minor. He was in Rome. He knew about the Olympics. So he says, you know, you've watched these things. Don't you know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? You know what he's saying? There's no participation trophies. 
When you're running in the Christian life, Corinthians, I want you to run to win. And I want you to run to win, but the only way you're going to run to win is you run in such a way as to get the prize, in such a way. There are some cultures that are a winning culture and a losing culture, and it's all what they do between the games because they do something in such a way, an intangible way that they show up and they're like, we have the same singlets. We got the same mats. We got the same ear whatever thingies to not get cauliflower ear and to look like we have elephant man's disease by the time we're done. We got all the same stuff, but you have a strategy and you've been working it. You've been going through strict training and you train in such a way. We have got to be people who do not show up for 45 minutes and call that training. This book right here has everything we need for life and godliness to unleash the power of God. This has got to be a daily grind, man. You got to keep telling your brain, I know what you want to do. I know what you feel like doing. I know what mood you're in, but let me command you to bow to the king and live this way. All my mind, my will, my emotions, my wants, my desires, my passions, bow to God. Train yourself to love him and serve him today. There's such a way to get that stinking prize. And I'm not on this planet to just go to heaven. I am on this planet to bring heaven to earth. I'm on this planet to win and to get that prize. So when I stand before God someday, I can look at him and say, I didn't do it all right, but I ran in such a way that I invested my life. Every waking minute of my life, I was warring against all the things, vying and crying for my attention and my affection, and I kept grabbing a hold of them, putting them under my heel, stomping down and crushing them. Amen. Doesn't it say that somewhere like in Romans chapter 16? He says, and now we crush the enemy with a heel of our foot. They do it to get a crown that will last. We're competing in games with strict training. It it took me then to Philippians 4. This is all about thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about such things. Let this be the thing running through your mind. And whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, that's a discipleship getting around somebody that's mentoring you and discipling you. Put it into practice, bro. And the God of peace will be with you. You don't practice this stuff. Don't plan on peace. The peace comes after you put into practice the things that you're thinking about and you're making grooves inside of your mind and you're creating neural pathways that are different than the old ones. That only comes with practice. It led to another one where it talked about the mind, First Peter 1, where Peter said this, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be fully sober. I don't think he was talking about drunk people there, but I think drunk people have a hard time when, when they've lost their 
facilities and the faculties and their capacities to actually make good choices in moments. That's why God says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit because you can't be filled with the spirit and the spirit leading you and then your sort of tipsy-topsy, turvy self that's been given over so that the agency of your mind has been compromised to make decision-making. It's not like, oh, alcohol is bad. No, it's just like when you get drunk, not just drink, you are giving an agency where your mind that has to be sharp because the enemy will come after you and you will do or say or think something in those moments that is not reality. It's not God's knowledge. It's not God's truth. So you got to prepare your minds for action and readiness and poise. That's why we say ready, set, Go, you don't go and then set yourselves and hope you were ready. That's just, it's, it's the opposite. Ready, aim, fire. You don't fire and then aim and then be like, dang, I should have got ready. It's ready, readiness. Prepare your minds for action. Then aim, then fire. Because if you don't do that, what you do is you fire and the bullet hits over there and then you take the target and put the target bullseye over where the bullet happened to land. That's immaturity. Our world does it all the time. Prepare your mind. And then Genesis chapter four, this was weird, went all the way over to Cain and God said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you or have you, but you must master it. You pull the reversal, you flip the script. If the imagery here in chapter four of Genesis, we're not very far into the story. And God says, I just want you to know, sin just came into the world not too long ago. But let me tell you the posture it's in and what it looks like. It's at your door every morning when you wake up and it's crouching and it desires to pounce on you, to have you and to master you. But you must be at the door before it gets to the door. So by the time it gets to the door, you go, ah, I beat you to it and you master it, you pounce on it. The psalmist says, I awake in the dawn. Why does he say that? Poetically, what he's saying is the day doesn't wake me up. I wake the day up. So when RJ was saying last week, first thing I do is get in the morning and I read God's word and I write down things and I say that creed, you're driving in grooves into your life so that when sin is crouching at your door, you're like, I knew you were coming. I'm ready for you. I'm not going to let you master me. I'm here to master you. Thank you very much. See, self-mastery is like self-control. And when I look at these four things that it, takes this kind of regimen, strict training, practice, preparation, and mastery in order to win the war in your mind. Henry David Thoreau, uh, one of my favorite authors, said this, as a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. What a great like picture of how do you change? Well, not a footprint here, there, there, 
But how do you change the neurological sort of pathways inside of your mind? You just do it again and again. You put it into practice. You go into strict training. You do the same move over and over again. Carter Blau, right down here. I watched him wrestle a couple weeks ago. Just been training his whole, whole life since he was a kid. There's some things now, Carter, would you agree, that are just natural for you? You don't even think about it anymore because it's just your body has its habits set into place. There's things you still have to think about. But some things are as natural as breathing to him now that he had to work on that to become the monster he is on the mat. And let me tell you, when Carter shows up on the mat, did you wrestle yesterday or on Saturday? How did it go for you? It went two and one against the best players in the whole nation. Amen. So th- that is, that is, that does, and we're like, well, that's really nice. You got to do that with your spiritual life. So those pathways are so there, like you don't even think anymore. It's like, man, this is like second nature. It's like the back of my hand. Second nature doesn't happen unless that first nature is led down the same pathway day after day. We were in our staff meeting and uh, I showed a video trying to embattle and empower our team to abolish the self-limiting thoughts that can come with comfort and safety. I want to be a dangerous church in the kingdom of God. And so we need to stay creative. We need to stay on our toes. And one thing we can't have in our mind is the word can't. And so I saw this a couple days earlier and wanted to share this with them and I wanted to share it with you. Check this out. Can't is the worst word that's written or spoken. Doing more harm here than slander and lies. On it is many a strong spirit broken and with it many a good purpose dies. It springs from the lips of the thoughtless each morning and robs us of courage we need through the day. It rings in our ears like a timely scent warning and laughs when we falter and fall by the way. Kant is the father of feeble endeavor, the parent of terror and half-hearted work. It weakens the efforts of artisans clever and makes of the toiler an indolent shirk. It poisons the soul of the man with a vision. It stifles in infancy many a plan. It greets honest toiling with open derision and mocks at the hopes and the dreams of a man. Can't is a word none should speak without blushing. To utter it should be a symbol of shame. Ambition and courage it daily is crushing. It blights a man's purpose and shortens his aim. Despise it with all of your hatred of error. Refuse it the lodgment it seeks in your brain. Arm against it as a creature of terror, and all that you dream of 
you someday shall gain. Can't is the word that is foe to ambition, an enemy ambushed to shatter your will. Its prey is forever the man with the mission, and bows but to courage and patience and skill. Hate it with hatred that's deep and undying, for once it is welcomed, twill break any man. Whatever the goal you are seeking, keep trying, and answer this demon by saying, I can. Yeah, man. I love that one line, refuse it, the lodgment it seeks in your brain. Just like it wants to lodge itself in there. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Next few weeks, we're going after that. Next week, I can't wait to preach on just replacing lies with truth. And um, yeah, I hope, I hope you'll come back. It's sort of just starting the war. If you're uh, attacked this week, um, reply like the disciples when they were attacked in Acts, where they said, I consider uh, myself glad and re rejoice at the sufferings I face, being counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Christ. You move toward the light, get ready to meet the darkness, and then you tell the darkness who your king is, and you make it bow. God, help us today as we move out. Our minds go with us, the battlefields that wage war are inside our heads, and we pray that you would give us divine power, dynamite power, to demolish what's been demolishing us, to overcome what's been overcoming us, to tear down and tear apart what has been tearing us apart, Lord. And may we start to daily, step by step, groove by groove, thought by thought, build new pathways in our mind, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, we love you. We love that your word is right on time, is um, reading our mail, and gets up in our grill. We welcome you to just come at us with your truth and give us the heart to give you access to places that we've been scared to surrender to you. Come and build strongholds inside of us and tear down the strongholds that the enemy has had for so long. We give you access. We give you permission. Execute your vision inside of our hearts, God. We pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Hey, have a good week. We'll see you next week.